Welcome everyone and thank you for joining us. This week is Parsha Shoftim. Parsha Shoftim starts off talking about judges and that we have mitzvos in the Torah to make judges and shotrim, which are, I guess, police officers or officers of the court to make sure the judges' laws are upheld. Now, that's simple. They should, and the Torah says, they to as ha'am and mishpat tzedek and they shall judge the people a righteous judgment and then it goes on saying that they shouldn't accept bribes, everything good, and that they should judge righteous. And they, in order to um, bring, you know, people the right judgment. Okay, great. But if you continue on with the pasuk, in pasuk chaf aleph, it says lo sita asherah kolitz, and then you shall not plant any asherah tree. Now, for those not familiar with what an asherah tree is, asherah tree is a tree that they used to do. They used to serve as an idol. So. Do not plant an idol next to the Mizbeach of Hashem. Okay? Or uh, any tree, it sounds like. Um, now, if you're reading the Parsha with me, it seems to make absolutely no sense. Because in Pasach Chaf, in Perik Tazayin, in Parsha Shoftim Pasach Chaf, it finishes off telling us about how we have to be so careful in judgment, the judges, and then out of a left field comes talking about trees. You know, it's uh, the famous story about someone who has, you know, uh, you know, I don't have ADD. Oh, look at the weather outside, you know. You know switching on to a different topic with absolutely no, you know, connection, seemingly no connection. Talking about judges, talking about appointing good judges, and all of a sudden, next topic, trees in the, in the Mizbeach. Doesn't seem to make any sense. So the Kliyakar um, explains... Um, the Kliyakar explains that there is a connection. There's a deep connection between these two things. What's the connection? So Kliyakar says, he brings in the Gemara from Sanhedrin, Dav Zayin Amit Beis, says, Kol Dayan, anyone who points a judge, She'inu Hagun, that's not appropriate, a judge who's not good, who doesn't, who's not fit for the job. Ki'ilu note Asherah, it's as if he planted a Asherah tree, a, a, a tree of idol, an idol-worshipping tree. Okay, so the question is, um, the Kliyakar explains the, why the connection of the two Pesukim right next to each other. The Torah doesn't write things next to each other for no reason. The reason why they're together is because the Torah is telling you that just like you cannot plant an Asherah tree, a tree, an idolatrous tree next to the Mizbeach, which... I don't know why you would do it, but don't do it. Same thing applies that if you take a dying, a judge who is not fit to judge the people, and you replace it's the same bad. It's terrible. Um, it's it's bad for the people. If you think about it, um, this is a tremendous lesson that, that the Kliyakar is teaching us. The idea that, you know, we have to be very careful who our halachic makers are, who are our givers of halacha. Um, and in this case, it's a dayan who's judging cases, who's judging, you know, different halachos and telling everyone what halacha is. But I think we can apply it to our everyday lives also, and to make sure that we don't trip up. What does this mean? Well, in Pirkei Avos, it says we talked about this uh, mission in Pirkei Avos a couple of weeks ago, but. I skipped over this one line. It says, Make for yourself a Rav. And then it says, 
and acquire for yourself a friend. Now, I have spent some time on discussing why it says acquire for yourself a friend, and not make for yourself a friend. Well, that's not for tonight. If you want to hear that, that's two podcasts to go. Um, but, on Parshas Eschanan, I think, that's two Parshas to go, yes. But this week's, par- oh, sorry, no, Parshas Akev, I think. Yeah, my mind's a little fried. School started, you know, teaching. Um, but no, I'm serious. Let's go back into the Parsha. So the question is, Aseilacharav, says Mishnah Perkyavos, Aseilacharav, make for yourself a Rav. Now, the Rabbeinu Yonah, I think, explains, what does it mean, make for yourself a Rav? That you have to be the one to accept upon yourself him. If you have a Rav, who just happens to be in a community, and you go ask him Shilohs, and go ask him questions, and you don't really accept him upon yourself, then it's not going to work. Right? You don't, you don't really accept upon yourself. So I, I know obviously the Kyakars over here is talking about when he's not, a, a, he's not really fit to be a rabbi. But I'm talking about even if the guy is fit to be a rabbi. And you're not really accepting him upon yourself. Then... Why are you going to him? You're not going to listen to anything he says anyways. You know, it's classic. My kid comes over to me and asks me, can I have a bag of Bisley? So I promptly said to him, no. Then he goes to his mother. Mommy, can I have a bag of Bisley? You know, if mommy does not realize that I said no, mommy's going to say yes. You know, you pick and choose who you think is going to tell you yes at that time. With candy and cake, my kids will usually come to me. Because uh, uh, I guess, you know, I'll usually tell them yes. <clears throat> but in general, if we act like that and we go around and we find, okay, this Rav I know is, you know, more lenient when it comes to Kashrut. This Rav is more lenient when it comes to, you know, Taharot Abayit. This Rav, you know, he, he doesn't know too much about Brachot. So I'll go to ask him, you know, what's convenient, you know, I'm going to go ask him. And what's going to end up happening is if you cannot pick a Rav and accept him upon yourself, you're not going to have a feeling of positivity towards Rabbanus, towards rab- rabbis in the first place. Um, so I was at a grocery store. Now, not a grocery store I usually shop in, not one in my neighborhood, a different neighborhood. And I was shopping around, looking at different produces. I was actually in the, in the vegetable department. Um, and a man comes over to me and asks me something about, like, you know, broccoli or something. So I show him where, where the broccoli is. And I said to him, by the way, you know, he was a Jewish man, um, wearing a kippah. I said to him, by the way, just be um, be careful, because that broccoli is not checked. It's not, you know, you have to check it yourself. And it's a very difficult process to make sure that there is no bugs in the broccoli. What he said next, uh, what he replied back to me was the most shocking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> he said, ah, you know, bugs, ah. Something the rabbis made up. You don't really have to check. And he walks away. So I said to myself, you know, how could it be that he could have such an attitude? How, how could he, you know, how could he say that? Really? You really think the rabbis care if you eat broccoli or not? You know, obviously you'll say, oh, no, the kashras makes expensive. You know, they make more money when, uh, you know, no. Not happening. <laughs> That's not what... We, we go into this business for to make people his life miserable 
You know, it's, it's, the Torah says you can't eat bugs. Broccoli has bugs. That's a fact. You have to check it. If you're not going to check it, you're going to eat bugs. Now, according to your, you follow your own rev, whatever he tells you. But how could he have such an attitude? And I think because, and I, I don't know this man from Beans, so I, I don't know if this is really what he feels, but I think an attitude of, I'm going to ask whoever's going to give me the leniency. I'm going to ask whoever's going to tell me that it's okay. And I'll pick and choose, and it'll be fine. Maybe it's going to be fine. But is that really what you're supposed to be doing? If you're going to accept someone upon yourself, someone, someone to ask your questions to, to get a, a derech, to get a way of, of, of life, a halacha, as I'm talking specifically about halacha, then you should pick one person and follow him. And then you will truly be able to asay the rav, make for yourself a rav. Now, I always thought it was funny how, how Pirk Yavos does not say in Pirk Yavos, Asay the Rabbanot, or Rabim, or many Ravs. It says Rav, make for yourself one. Take that one and make for yourself him. And if you have one teacher and one person who guides you and you follow his path, you usually end up in the right place. Okay. So let's go on. In Parsha Shoftim, there's so much to talk about. You know, it's, it sounds like one of those boring Parshas in Devarim that just repeat things in the Torah. But no, there are, there are many, many, many. Um, no Parsha is boring. But there are many, many um, interesting things. Let's go on to the next one. Um, in Perikid Zayin, it's talking about making for yourself a king. It says the Torah that Ki Aretz, when you come to Eretz Yisrael, Asher Hashem, um, and then in Varamarta, and you'll say, Let us make for ourselves a king. Like all the non Jews that are around us, like all the other nations, let's make a king. We see they have a king. Oh, we want a king too. So, what does the Torah say? Make for yourself Make for yourself a king. Okay, and it goes on to tell you the different laws about a king and how he has to act and different stuff. Now I want to stop right there. Let's, let's stop over here and let's think for one second. What in the world is the Torah saying? When you come to Eretz Yisrael and Vermarta and you'll say, Let us make a king. Like all the surrounding nations. Now ask yourself, is that a positive thing or a negative thing? Are we supposed to want to be like the other nations? Do other nations keep the Torah? No. Are we supposed to want? What is a Torah saying that we should want to be like them? What's going on over here? So in Shmuel, in the Navi Shmuel, see that the people approached Shmuel HaNavi and asked him to appoint the king, just like the Torah says. Right? There, was, there were different leaders of Klai Yisrael after Yoshua came to Eretz Yisrael. Joshua came to Eretz Yisrael after Moses. Moshe passed away. There were different leaders, but for many years they did not have a leader. They did not have a, a, a central you know, they had a shofate, which is a, almost like judges who ran the show, but never had a king. And they asked 
they said, you know, they realized they need a central power. They need someone that can, you know, rally against, that can help them grow in Torah mitzvot. And they said to, to Shmuel, we need a king. And what followed was very, very scary. Because they got their king, they got King Shaul. But we know that Shmuel gave them rebuke. Shmuel was not happy. You want a king? So take a step back for a second. Why was Shmuel upset that they wanted a king? We see from over here, the Torah commands in other places also, that you're supposed to have a king. King is something that the Torah says to have. Then what was Shmuel upset about them for asking for a king? The Farshim explained, it wasn't the fact that they asked for a king. Having a king is fine. It was the fact that they asked for a king to be like the other nations. And that is exactly what the Torah is telling us. When you come, you're going to ask for a king to be like the other nations. And the Torah is predicting the future almost to tell us that that's what's going to happen. And that's not a good thing. If you want something, there are many, many motives to want something. You want a leader who is going to help you, guide you, guide you in the right direction. When you have a king, a king is supposed to be a very holy man. We know King David, David HaMelech, King Solomon, Shlomo HaMelech, two of the holiest people to ever live. And they brought tremendous prosperity and bracha in forms of Torah, spiritual, physical, into Klai Yisrael. Mashiach is going to come from King David. Zoha that. And that is, that is what a king could do for the nation. It's unbelievable. There was a king called Yoshiyahu, and he in, in, before him, his, his grandfather, Menashe, and his father managed to get rid of almost all Torah observant there at Israel. All Torah observants. Menashe was a tr- tremendous uh, idolater. He served idols. And he brought idols into the Beit HaMikdash. Terrible, terrible things. And little Yoshio became king when he was eight years old. And he went, and, and the story goes that he, they found the Torah scroll, and they read in the Torah scroll, and it was from the Tocha. And, and to make a long story short, he got the whole entire nation to do tshuva. Almost the entire nation. A king could have amazing powers. Could rally the people. A leader could do that. I think this goes back to what we said before. If you make a leader for yourself, if you pick a Rav, if you pick someone who you feel can help you grow, and if it's for the right reasons while you're picking him, then you could really grow. But if you're just trying to, you know, seem like you're doing the right thing, or copy everyone else, then it's not going to be it's not going to be successful. Same way the king, you know, Shmuel was upset at the people for wanting a king to be like the other, the other nations. I was supposed to have a king. Okay, but that's not the motivation behind it. The motivation is supposed to be able to grow with the king and have the king inspire you. And have the king, you know, he carried around a Torah scroll, he carried around Sifrei Torah with him, around everywhere, to inspire the people that he was with and to inspire himself. That's what a king's supposed to be. That's what a leader's supposed to be. But if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, then even if you have the right thing, but the reasons are wrong, then the right thing will fail. And we see, ultimately, King Shaul, who was the first king, he failed. It didn't end up working out. 
David the Melch took over, David took over, and you know, good things came from him, but the first king wasn't successful because the people wanted a king to be like the other nations. Okay, let's go on. Um, let's go on with the Parsha. It's actually the next Pasuk, it says, Rak lo a king should not have any horses. Now, obviously, he needs a force army with horses and different things, but he shouldn't have a lot of, a lot of, a lot of horses. Now, why? So he doesn't bring the people down to Mitzrayim. To get many horses. So, one second. Well, not down to Mitzrayim, but return them over to Mitzrayim. It shows next door to, to Egypt. What? Because <laughs> he wants horses, he's going to return them to Mitzrayim. So the explanation is, is that it's not really talking about returning them physically to Mitzrayim. You're going to become like Mitzrayim. You're going to want what they have. You're going to trade with them. Obviously, trade with them is not so bad, but you're going to become Mitzrayim. Same before. If it's not done with the right feeling, if it's not done with the right intentions, then it's going to doom you. If you want a king just to be like the other nations, then it's going to lead you to be more like the other nations. Be careful. Don't start trying to be like the other nations. Okay. And you see the Klai Yisrael has bracha. When we, 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 we are Klai Yisrael, when we B'nai Yisrael, when we act in our dignified manner and try to act better and um, be respectful and follow the laws of the Torah. Okay. Now, this is a very interesting... Um, last year I had the Zichut to teach my class. We did most of the Mesech the Makot. And if you know, the second paragraph of Mesech the Makot talks about Galut, going to Galus. Now what is, for those who are not familiar, what is Galus is the Ari Miklat going to, running to the Ari Miklat. Now what exactly is that? Now a few parshas ago in Parshas Masa we discussed it. Um, we'll go over it quickly. If somebody kills accidentally, if someone is up on his roof, and smashing and, and using a hammer with a downward motion and something slips out, a nail or something, and hits someone below him, then he, he kills the person, Rahman al-Islam. Um, and then the person, that, the man who, who did the hammer, needs to go to Galut, needs to go to the, a city of refuge. But when does he get, what does he have to stay there till? He stays in the city of refuge until the death of the Kohen Gadol. Until the Kohen Gadol dies. Now, exactly why he should go to Galut and the reason behind it, we're not going to discuss today. I want to discuss one small, small little tiny thing about this. Well, t- really two things. We'll, we'll talk about it in a second. The first thing I want to talk about is he stays there until the Kohen dies. The Gemara tells us a very interesting story. The Gemara tells us that a, the mother of the Kohen Gadol would come around to all the cities of refuge and bring clothing and food to the people there. Yeah. Why? Says the Gemara. Because she did not want them to pray that her son would die. Makes sense, right? Not to me. What, what do you mean? She's going to go around and give them food 
and give them clothing to, so they don't pray that her son dies? So let's skip the obvious question and why would their prayer be accepted? It sounds like their prayer would be accepted. What is the clothing going to help? If this guy is leaving his family, right? he killed by accident, he's leaving his family, he has to leave the city where he grew up, he has to leave his family, his wife, his kids, well maybe they go, they go with him, but he has to leave a lot of things behind. And he has to move to a random city in the middle of nowhere. Now the Levium lived there, they were, they were taken care of, but he had to move to that place, to uproot his family. He doesn't want to go there. Yeah, you know, if the coin goes, I'm going to die there, I'm going to dive in there, I'm going to get out of here. Well, I'm not going to, I don't know if I would dive for the Kohen Gadol die. That's pretty intense. But it sounds like if he does, then it might have an effect. Because otherwise, what is she doing? What is she going around giving out food? And, and, and it's nice, to, it's a chassad, very nice. But it sounds like the reason she's doing it is to make sure that her son doesn't die. Is, is there tefillot really enough to, to kill her son? And if it is, it sounds like it is enough. And this is the question we're going to be dealing with right now. If it is enough, then how could, uh, you know, <laughs> some uh, candy and cake and, you know, an extra pair of shirt, shirts can really help them stop it? How is it going to help? You know, um, <laughs> you have to pick when you're, a, when, you're a, when you're a teacher, especially especially if younger kids or older kids. And you have to come up with some sort of... Uh, you know, motivation for them to learn well. You have to pick the right motivation. I remember once, uh, you know, a few years ago, at a class, and the principal announced a new program that if they, you know, they they do chazara, they they review their their um, what they learned, they're gonna get they're gonna get a prize. So, unfortunately, he said they're gonna get a prize. What happened? Nobody did it. Why? And I asked my class, why? Sixth graders, why do you do it? Because he's going to give us a prize. We're not in first grade. What, what prize is he going to give us? Well, he's going to give us a little football, a basketball. I don't need that. Right? I have a smartphone. You know, what do I need a basketball for? No smartphone. But what do I need a basketball for? I'm a, I'm a big boy. I have that at home. What he should have said, I'll give you cash. You know, I'll give you some money. That, that works. You know, but uh, you know. So, what is this going to help this uh, them not to not to daven? If they were going to daven, they were going to be mispalal. They're going to daven anyways. So I heard an amazing pshat. Again, I don't really remember where I read this. I read a lot of things about this pshat last year, but I, I read an amazing amazing pshat, and it goes like this: an amazing explanation. You're right. It's not going to stop them from davening. They're going to daven anyways. But you know what's going to happen? Their davening won't be with the same kavana, with the same, you know, intense, because they just got something. It will affect them. What the what what the mother of the kongado gives them will lessen their tefillah. You know, it, it warns in this week's parsha about a judge taking a bribe. Now, even if it's a small amount, even a pruta, even a small amount, he's not. If he takes the bribe, even if it's given to him, he needs to recuse himself from it. That gives him fifty cents. He needs to say, "I can't judge anymore." We're talking about a Tami de Chachama, a tremendous scholar. Fifty cents is going to sway him. Come on. The answer is even a little bit can affect you, and the same is with tefillah. 
a little bit of a distraction, a little bit of something that gets you off. You know, she gave, oh, she's so nice. It's going to stop you. It's going to stop it. It's going to stop him to make sure his tefillos are not as strong. Now, today in class, we were discussing tefillah. And I asked my students, because it's the first day of our tefillah class. I asked them to explain something to me. We, oh, we start Shmona Esrei. When we're supposed to talk to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, connect to the King of Kings. Right? So... I'll ask you the following thing. Watch someone dominate Shemona Esrei. No, we all do it automatically. But watch, stop for a second. Oh, obviously you should, should daven, but next time you're in a shul, someone comes in late, watch him daven. It's going to take, it's going to start, I, it's almost like, you know, in my head, the music starts playing. Hey, everybody, let's go. Three steps forward and three steps back. Now, oh, sorry, three steps back and three steps forward. Now bend your knees, now bend your back. Now pick him up, now one, two, three, stop. Let's do it again. Bend your knees and bend, come on. What are we kidding? God doesn't need us to do that. To connect to him, I need to go and bend my knees and bend my back. And I need to bow down to what? To the guy in front of me sitting there? You know? To the guy playing games on his phone during davening? To, to what? To the wall in front of me? What do I need to do it for? Okay, it's when I ask me, I close my eyes, I concentrate, I stand up because it helps me concentrate, and I pray to God, what do I need to back? What did Chazal tell us to do that? And the answer we gave in class was obviously to filaz, to connect to Hashem. But if we're distracted, our tefillah is not going to work. We're not going to have the right, proper mindset. But to take a second and to pretend as if we're standing in front of a king. I mean, we are. But we're going to go through the motions. We're going to take three steps back. Now we're going to walk in front of the king as if we're going into the palace. And we're going to bow as if we're bowing in front of a melech basar Adam. We're going to bow. No, Hashem doesn't need us to bow. We're going to bow for ourselves to wake us up. We're about to daven. Who have the ear of the king? Wake up. That's why we do it for. Because it takes away the distraction. You know, we see that from the case of the mother of the Kongadal, distracting them from the tefillot, you know, takes away a little bit of the power. You know, so over here too, if we, we are distracted and we don't focus, you know, before we're about to start tefillah, then yeah, we, we won't have the proper mindset. We won't be able to really dive it. Okay, so since we're going through a lot of different things and you know, a lot of different points, um, let's go to one more point. Why not? Um, and, um, there are two witnesses come into Betin, and they say that Reuven killed Shimon. Right? So two other witnesses come, right, in the times when they had a Sanhedrin on Betin, and they say, you know, those two, the first two witnesses, they were with us in Florida during the time that they say Reuven killed Shimon. Impossible. Could have happened. They were with us. So the Torah says, in this week's parsha, they're called Adim um, conspiring witnesses, and they get the same punishment that they wanted to do. So if Reuven wanted to kill Shimon, they would get death. Now, it's a good question. Why? That sounds a little harsh. Yeah, that's a good question. We're not going to deal with this now. But we're going to deal with the following Nekudah, the following aspect. Says the Torah, at Pasuk, Chaf, Periketes, Vahani Sharim, 
and the ones who are left over, Yishmu Yiro, they will see and they will they will be fearful. They will see. Sorry. Will you see Fulas's old? So they should they shall hear it and they should fear. Will you see Fulas's old? They shouldn't do any of this. The Torah goes on and says that they won't, you know, um, hurt anybody else. Now, that's okay. We're going to announce it. So the Gemara says that what is this referring to? This is referring to the idea of the Hachraza, to go and announce, to tell everyone that this is happening. They want everyone to know that this is going on in order to stop people doing it in the future. In the future. So they used to announce it in the, in the square. You know, they used to put up signs. Everyone should come at this time. And they used to announce, this guy is, these two gentlemen are getting killed because they were conspiring witnesses. Because they went and they tried to kill somebody falsely. So we're going to go again. We're, we're, gonna, we're going to kill them and we're going to announce what they did to stop people from doing it. That's all good. Go to the next Pasuk. Pasuk, Per Chaf Pasuk Alf. It starts talking about wars. Hold on. <laughs> what does this have to do with the last Pasuk? What's the connection? What is the connection between Edim um, Zomim announcing their punishment and going to war? Chazal explained a very interesting connection. A very, very interesting connection. That if you hold on, let me find it inside. Okay, I thought I had it marked down in my chumash, but I can't find it. So I'll say it outside, and hopefully we can make sense of it. That when you go to, when you are together, when there's togetherness, right? What is the point of announcing? Announcing is to bring Kalal Yisrael together, to, to, to not have any of this problem anymore. To not have people conspiring to hurt each other. What happens when Kalal Yisrael, the Jews, are not together? Then, Then there'll be opportunities for war. Then Hashem will make it. There's no peace between you and other nations. But, but, if you have peace and you're together, then, you know, nothing will, will, will hurt you. Then you'll be together. You know, we have many factions in Klai, so many different people from different places. But, you know, we, we got to remain together. We have the same Torah. You know, I, I want to add, we know the famous story that when Amalek in the Midbar attacked the Jews, right? Moshe sat and picked his hands up. And as, as you know, if Moshe's hands were up, the Jews were wanting, the, they won, they were winning the war. But when his hands went down, they, they stopped winning the war. They, they started losing. Why? So I heard, I heard her answer that when they saw Moshe's hands in the air, they remembered that, you know, the HaKadosh Baruch remember Hashem. And that helped them win. Hashem put extra effort, you know, they're remembering me. Ah, will help them win. 
But not, they forgot Hashem, then Moshe's hands were down. I want to add to that. I think it's, it's that plus this. When they're all looking at Moshe with his hands raised in the air, and they all are, have the same goals. They all know, they all know that we're together under the banner of Hashem. Hashem is above, we are together as Klai Yisrael with HaKadosh Baruch Hu guiding us in the way. And that togetherness, that achdus, that togetherness can help any, could win anything. If there's togetherness in Klai Yisrael, it will stop the wars. There won't be fighting. Now, you know, they won't be fighting, I think, forget about wars in regards to battles, families that fight each other. It takes a little bit of togetherness. Now, the question is, you're probably wondering, you know, how is that possible? How am I supposed to, you know, not fight? You know, sometimes family members or, you know, people, you know, they fight. It's hard. I, heard, I had a, um, a rabbi of mine in L.A. Rabbi Solomon was his name. He was a rabbi in the school over there. And I went to eat to him Friday night. And I, I was talking to him. We were talking about different stuff. And I was telling him about some issues I was having. They are trying to deal with some people who were being difficult. And he gave me the following advice that I want to pass on. He said... Sometimes all it takes is tolerance to tolerate. You don't have to understand where they're coming from sometimes. Sometimes it's going to be too hard. Sometimes you're not going to be able to, to, to agree with them. You're not with the people who are arguing with you. But you, to, you tolerate it or, or respect in some sense where the other person is coming from. And that can get you. Sometimes don't take it head on. Don't fight. I but 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 what? But what? Okay. Take a step back. Take a deep breath, and everything will be okay. And if Klaus will come together, especially in the times right now, you know there should be peace in or to Israel. There should be peace all around the world. But if we could come together, if we could really come together, forget about our differences for a few minutes, we will see that we're building the base of English and the next king, King Mashiach. With that, have a wonderful have a wonderful night and Shabbat Shalom.